Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, November the 2nd, 2022, uh, from a beautifully sunny full day in uh, San Francisco. Uh, last week, I did a show with the Canadian, uh, I don't know how you would call her, uh, scientist, anthropologist, Karen Backer, uh, who has a new book out called The Sounds of Life, a book about how digital technology is allowing us to talk to animals and plants to learn a new language. This issue of talking uh, to nature, talking to other species is, of course, a perennial one in our culture. And we're back on it today with a different kind of book, um, Conversations with Birds by my guest uh, Priyanka Kumar. She's talking to us from Santa Fe. She's braving a dog bite. Um, and the book is just out. It's been acclaimed. It starred review in uh, Publishers Weekly. And a lot of people have been looking forward to reading it. So congratulations, Priyanka, on the book. You're also a filmmaker and a novelist. Um, this idea of conversing with birds, what exactly does that mean? Does it mean they're talking to you or you're talking to them? What it means, Andrew, is that I am developing a relationship with the natural world and with birds in particular. Uh, and I think that we're living, as you know, in a time of crisis. And um, I do believe that all of us today need to develop that relationship with the natural world and with birds or other wildlife, because um, if we don't learn the rhythms of nature, and we used to know the rhythms of nature in the pre-industrial age, but if, you, if we don't learn those, relearn those rhythms, if we don't relearn how to read uh, nature, um, how can we um, expect ourselves to know how those rhythms are changing? And some of those rhythms are changing in devastating ways. Uh, but if we're, if we're unable to read them, if we're not literate in nature, uh, how do we even know how those rhythms are changing? And then how do we respond? Uh, you, you describe the idea of reading nature. Is that like reading a book? Um, does it require a particular kind of literacy? Very much so. But I think it's a literacy that we can cultivate uh, by being out uh, in nature on an everyday basis. And again, this is something that we were doing in the pre-industrial age. And it's something that we very much moved away from living almost you know, in our cubicles, wherever we are. And uh, we've built these uh, thick walls between ourselves and the natural world. And I really think that it's time. I think it would be prudent to start chipping away at those walls. I think it's important that we don't talk um, very abstractly about habitat loss, um, biodiversity loss, climate change. Um, I believe it's time um, to chip away at those walls and get out there and experience nature 
in all its beauty and aliveness. And it's true. Yes, sometimes it's uh, brutality, as I experienced yesterday when I was on my daily walk and, and I got uh, bit twice viciously by an aggressive dog. So that kind of thing that does happen too. So I don't want to romanticize nature. But at the same time, I think we've gotten, um, we've moved ourselves um, too far away from it. And, 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 and it's time to come closer and develop a relationship and start to listen. And um, it, can, it can really, truly be a magical thing. Priyanka, what can we learn about this from our ancestors, particularly our indigenous ancestors? You're not originally from the United States. You grew up in uh, northern India. Uh, you, you've spent some time here. You've, you've written and thought about the experience of being American. You even had an interesting piece um, a few years ago in 2020 in the New York Times, a review of the harsh realities of being indigenous in North America. Can we learn from our ancestors in terms of their ability to converse with nature? I think so, Andrew. I think that's a terrific question. Um, and I grew up partly in Northeast India, a region that was truly teeming with uh, 10,000 plant species, uh, about 40% of them endemic. And today scientists believe that um, it's one of the biodiversity hotspots in the planet. So I was very fortunate to grow up in that environment and that uh, certainly had a great deal of impact on the way that I saw the world around me. And uh, in the areas that we lived in were also people who were of indigenous cultures. And I remember that if they'd invite you over for a feast, which happens sometimes, um, they would serve um, this uh, amazing food on banana leaves. So banana leaves are, are, are very big if, if you've ever seen banana trees. And so we would eat um, our lunch on banana leaves. And at the end of the day, you can just crush them and, and you know throw them and they're composted. And I, I think that even something as simple as that, uh, you know, it might seem too elemental, but it's something that we can learn from. I was just reading um, that the latest UN report shows that our plastic waste, for instance, has doubled over the last two decades. And that's astonishing to me. Only 9% of this plastic waste is actually being recycled. And the rest of it is going into landfills and it's leaching into the environment. Uh, so sure, I think we can learn from indigenous cultures or indigenous ancestors. I think we can, um, you know, wherever we are in cities or uh, in rural areas, we can start composting. It's super easy to do. And we can reduce our waste. I mean, it's staggering to me that plastic production internationally um, is increasing and is set to increase for the next few decades. Right, we, we've done some shows on plastics, in particular uh, an anti-plastics activist. Um, I wonder if your particular sensibility on plastics is associated with it, with its impact on, on, on birds. You're a, you're a bird lover. Um, in this book and, and, and in other ways, you've written about Mrs. 
Morose Warbler. You've written about uh, you've written a, a lovely piece uh, comparing a book, uh, a bird, and, and being present. Uh, you've written about the Bird King. What is it about books, um, uh, Priyanka, that uh, makes you so passionate? Were you always a, a bird lover when you were a, a child in northern India? Um, you know, Andrew, um, as a child in northern India, I uh, was primarily uh, interested in snakes because they were around me. And um, I, I, I collected snake skins with the um, passion of a, a stamp collector, um, except I, I, I told no one about it. I, it, was, it was my own um, secret world, and I would stash them away in a little cave. I, I loved the colors of, of snake skins. And I went to um, a convent school run by Italian nuns, and uh, one of the nuns got bit by um, a leaf snake and uh, she was out, gone for, for many months. So I was quite aware of, um, even back then, of the be beauty and, and the brutality of nature. And it was something that I just lived with um, and I was enchanted with. And for some strange reason, I wasn't afraid um, it never occurred to me that I could, um, you know, I would get hurt. Uh, I just sought out um, animals and forests and birds. Um, but it was only later as a teenager when I came um, to the West that I truly realized uh, what I had lost. And I experienced um, a profound loss uh, in my life, losing all of that um, you know, those plant species, bird species, um, other wildlife. And, and, and that's when I think I, I started to consciously think about what I had had, what it had meant to me, and um, how we live in the West. And, um, you know, um, should we really th rethink uh, the way that we live our lives? And why do we have... Um, such a strong separation between ourselves and the natural world. So it was really losing all of that beauty and magic um, that had sustained me and that had fueled my curiosity. It was losing that um, that made me question the way we live our lives today. I wonder if there's a connection between snakes and birds. We had uh, Simon Montgomery, another wonderful nature writer on the show, uh, who talked to me about how hawks teach us a, a different way to love. Um, her book, uh, her new book is The Hawk's Way, Encounters with Fierce Beauty. There's a certain mm -hmm. curiosity of birds. They are mm -hmm. uh, much more primitive than we are. They go back a lot longer. I mean, they're the closest thing we have to the dinosaurs, aren't they? Absolutely. And um, thank you for bringing up Sai's work. I know her and she's just lovely. And you're, you're absolutely right. There is uh, this connection. And I think it's something that we can be aware of in our everyday lives because, um, you know, hawks, of course, rely on um, rodents primarily in, in, in lots of places where we live. And, and so when we um, set out poison traps and poison our, our rodents, then, then it's the hawks who suffer. So I think um, 
uh, that does bring home to me just the interconnectedness of, of this web of life. And you're right, Andrew, um, there is this uh, uh, resonant connection between uh, birds and dinosaurs. And I, I feel like I'm particularly attracted to birds like, for instance, the long-billed curlew, which is a grassland bird, and which incidentally is the bird that um, made me fall in love with birds all over again um, in, in North America, in California, um, at the Elkhorn Slough uh, near Santa Cruz. And um, it has this, the curlew has this um, nine inch long prehistoric looking uh, bill that it uses to catch um, invertebrates, uh, crustaceans um, from, from the water. And just gazing at this bird, um, I, I, I just almost lost myself. And um, you, you really get, you get almost a primal shock looking at a bird like the curlew um, and, and you feel that connection that birds have um, with dinosaurs. I mean, they're, they're you know, paleontologists are, are now more clearly drawing the lines between birds and dinosaurs. And, and also a bird like the sandhill crane, for instance, which I uh, observe every year at the Bosque del Apache National Wildlife Refuge. Um, you know, uh, they're finding some really old sandhill crane uh, fossils, which just blow your mind. And so, um, so I do, I do love birds for that reason because they make me think about um, where we come from and um, the tree of life. And certainly, um, it's 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 paradoxical because they they keep me in the present. Um, but they also take me uh, far, far back into our past. So Sai also wrote for the Lit Hub a piece about what animals can show us or teach us. We've done lots of shows on what animals can teach us. One with Ed Young recently, another with Jackie Higgins, a third with Carl Safina. Yes, I love, is, I love all of their work. Yeah, and, I'm sure. And, and I think you're all part of a, an important new, I mean, I'm not sure how new a community is, but certainly an important community of writers on, on nature. Um, should we be thinking of these lessons in the context of utility or in, 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 in a more aesthetic sense? Um, should they be, should these conversations be about us learning our place in nature, which is a more utilitarian lesson? Or is it simply about experiencing the magic, um, the sensuousness, the unspeakableness in some ways of, of, of life and of the world? I mean, at this point, Andrew, I think uh, both of those um elements are in play, at least when I'm out there in the natural world, I'm, I'm experiencing um, that sensual awe. Um, I'm let, letting myself, and I encourage other people to do this, I, I let myself um, sink into that. And I mm -hmm. think we need lots of places um, that are vast enough that we can lose ourselves. And it's, I think, one of the great needs uh, from the point of view of um, mental uh, and overall health um, in our time. As you know, we're, we're, we're facing a mental health crisis in this country. Um, 
I think we really need to soak ourselves in the natural world. Um, and the, the other thing, the utilitarian part, I feel doesn't need to be forced. It comes naturally. You just kind of fall in love. And then um, um, you learn things. Um, it might not even happen consciously. And, and it's over, sometimes it's, it's over, um, you know, a few years that you realize how much you've absorbed. And, um, and there's this very strong impulse, um, at least I've experienced it, and I know friends who've experienced it, to, um, to give back, to make sure that these places um, are not desecrated any further, um, to live our lives um, in ways um, that supports that feeling. So um, again, I, I come back to, and, and I do this in the book, um, you know, I, I'm trying to storytell in, in, in these sensual ways um, to bring you into the ways that I experience the natural world in the hopes that uh, perhaps it'll open a door for you, um, if a door isn't open already, um, for you to uh, get into this world and experience it in fresh ways. Um, and perhaps it will inspire you to... Um, to break down that wall of separation, um, to not simply talk about um, how we can respond to climate change and biodiversity loss um, in abstract ways, but to understand that all of us have a role to play, uh, whether it is uh, you know, using less plastic or not using pesticides or restoring our lands, all of us do have a role to play. Um, and it's true that, that you know, government policy and the way that corporations act um, those are the game changers, but um, but we can still be part of the solution um, and in a beautiful, magical way. Yeah, beautiful, magical way and sort of implies a certain religiosity. Um, your book is in some ways dependent on a, a Zen philosophy and particularly in the context of nature. Is that fair? Yes, uh, certainly um, a Zen philosophy, something um, that, that kind of um, essentially that very simple, elegant way of thought is something that I've been deeply attracted to for a long time. Um, but I would say um, that also uh, there's something of uh, ancient Indian tradition and philosophy that, that also permeates the book. And a lot of that was not conscious, Andrew. Uh, it's just something that's part of me and ended up percolating into the book. The book is a series of essays, of non-fictional essays. You're also well-known as a movie maker. You made The Song of the Little Road, a much acclaimed movie. So wrote a novel, uh, Take Wing and Fly Here, in your so-called New West trilogy. What can you do in nonfiction that you can't do in film or in fiction? That's a great question. Um, you know, um, in my novel, I, I uh, it's set in California and it tells... Um, uh, it's set against the backdrop of competitive birding, and it tells the story of um, 
a young physicist who takes on the challenge to see the most number of bird species in Los Angeles County in a year and how that unravels his life. And um, at the time I was uh, deeply engaged in, in, in that world of birding and also birding with others. And um, I ended up writing this, this novel um, as a commentary on the birding world as well. Um, and it was certainly a satisfying experience to write it, but after it was out and I was going around doing a few talks and lectures, um, a lot of people asked me about my story and, and how I, I fell in love with birds. And I felt that um, even though I had explored that in fiction, um, had explored the birding world in fiction, that, that there was a story about um, how as a, a young child had fallen head over heels, the natural world basically lived outside. I mean, of course I had a house, but I, I wanted to live outside all the time. And, and, and that, that way of living and being um, and playing in nature is something that is not accessible to children today, to people today. And, and I felt that um, a nonfiction book would open the door for more philosophical conversations like the one that you and I are having today. And, and I felt that there's a deep need for that right now. Um, there's a deep need for us to um, reconnect uh, with um, the more sensual parts of ourselves and, and the ways in which um, all of those uh, beautiful sensory impulses that we have, uh, the ways that um, uh, it, it's so complementary to being out in nature, whether it's trees that we're appreciating or, or birds um, or a bobcat. Um, and we are living in a very disconnected world today. And um, I say that, you know, at, at the level of um, individuals, we have a loneliness crisis in this country and at the level of communities, our communities are fragmented. And um, I felt that there was, a, there was a need for a book that would address some of these issues um, while viewing them primarily uh, through the lens of loving the natural world. There's a very strong lyrical quality to your writing, almost musical. What about the, the music of nature? Uh, in my conversation with Karen Backer, we talked a little bit about Olivia Messiaen's mm. uh, piano work, um, yes. imagining birdsong. Uh, do, you, do you compare your work with, um, the, with the music of, of, of natural, I guess you'd call them a natural composer like Messiaen? I mean, I would say so. Um, I am a very musical person. I have been, since I was a child, I trained in classical Indian singing and I sing and teach singing to this day. Uh, so I do experience the world um, musically, I would say. Um, and for instance, when I'm out um, hiking in the winter, and sometimes that takes a little bit of motivation, um, if it's especially snowy and bitterly cold here, um, but I, I make it a point to hike in the winter as much as I do in the summertime, 
um, I think of I think of this beautiful bird, the chickadee, um, that um, and it's it's lovely song. It's a d d d d d song, and um, uh, it's my companion when I'm out there in the snow uh, trekking along, and um, so I do uh, experience the music of the natural world. And uh, just yesterday, uh, in fact, um, just minutes before I got bit by that dog, I was gazing at this shimmering cottonwood tree. It was, um, I was so astonished. I just paused and I think I just must've stood there for five minutes and it was, it was golden. And a lot of our landscape here, we're, we're in Pinon Juniper Woodland. Um, a lot of our landscape is kind of a, a, a deep dark green and that, a uh, glorious cottonwood, um, shimmering gold, and its leaves uh, rustling were making music for me. And I think I really respond to that music of nature. Um, it, um, it certainly takes me to uh, places that my routine everyday life um, can't. And and I think that today more than ever, we, we need uh, to be able to transcend um, this kind of device-filled life that we uh, so many of us are trapped in. Uh, and again, those devices are wonderful tools. Um, and at the same time, um, I think they, um, they can trap us. And so I, I want to transcend that. I want to live in a more radical way um, that... Um, that is full of the music of birds, uh, the beauty of birds, and um, the song even of trees. We all obviously want to read your book, and I strongly suggest it, Conversations with Birds, uh, Priyanka, but otherwise should people just go out? You're in Santa Fe, I'm in San Francisco, I love going down to the ocean and looking at the birds. I'm not a a bird expert like you, but there's a certain remarkable quality of simply looking at them. For people who have never looked at birds, how would you suggest they begin? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I think the act of, of looking, of truly looking, of observing, um, of giving in, of leaning into can be a radical act in today's world um, of letting all the distractions melt away. And I think birds are so beautiful, so stunning that we can do that. And um, I encourage people to not get concerned about, you know, having a guidebook with you necessarily or, or, or having any kind of apps, just please, if you can, uh, leave your cell phone uh, in, in your car when you're looking at birds. I, I don't even have a cell phone. I never did. And um, just be there. Just be there with the bird. And allow the bird to be a teacher. Allow it to teach you how to be present in that moment. And by extension, how do we truly present in your own life? Words of wisdom from Priyanka Kumar, the author of Conversations with Birds, brand new book, essential reading for anyone who cares about nature or 
our current crisis, our dilemma as humans. Priyanka, what else are you reading in addition to your new book? What other books would you suggest? In addition to looking at nature and birds, what, what reading uh, would you advise to our, our viewers and listeners? Uh, so, Andrew, uh, a book that I, I come back to again and again is um, E.O. Wilson's Half Earth, mm. uh, where he talks about uh, our biodiversity loss and how we really need to uh, set aside more land for wildlife habitat um, and as a way of uh, protecting our planet, of buffering it against uh, habitat loss and climate change. So that's something that I've come back to again recently, um, but also for pleasure reading. I, I, I recently finished, did a spree of um, last year, um, you'll know, Abdul Gurna won the Nobel Prize in Literature. So I read he, his uh, books, Paradise and Afterlives, both of them set in East Africa, and they really transported me to um, a new way of looking at the world, but also at some of the really thick jungles in those areas. And uh, gosh, the mosquito bites. Ouch. 